in all its glory. The Winter Dinner Menu at Retro Metro on the corner of Cox and Republic Road in Southwest Springfield. What's wrong with you people? I'm serious. Let's get biblical. Here's Bruce the Theologian on the Elijah Hart Show. I mean, this is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is, and we don't know who we are. Welcome back to our two hours of God and Jesus and politics here on the Elijah Har Show. Don't forget, coming up at 5.05, we're going to have Buddy Pounds, the president and founder of Christians Engage, who's got a new book called Jesus and the Bible. No, Jesus and Politics. I was like, Jesus and the Bible wouldn't make sense. Jesus and Politics. She's going to be on at 5.05, but joining us now, our regular Tuesday guest, Bruce the Theologian. Bruce, question of the day today. What's something that can go wrong in the morning that throws your entire day off? Mm, not having any milk in the um, fridge. No milk. Jared, I do you have milk. milk in your fridge? That occasionally happens. It rarely happens. Uh, it happens probably a couple times a year. But yeah, there's no milk, and I'm like, oh, now I've got to go to you know Dollar General or interesting. To, is milk, milk a big part of your diet? Oh yeah. Well, no, well, I have cereal every morning. Oh, you? Oh, I'm yeah, a cereal guy, so I have to have cereal. I have to have cereal. So. Interesting. Gluten free cereal, but cereal. Oh, of course it's gluten free. Well, I actually yeah, I have a bit of a gluten issue, so that's oh, why okay. I'm not trying to be a fancy I should, boy. And I shouldn't be dismissing you. Know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do have milk in the fridge right now. It is expired, and I did forget to throw it out for this like two days. This will be the straight. last time Bruce shows up okay. with the show. He's like, I'm leaving. I'm not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bruce. We're talking about a book by Rod Dreher, The Benedict Option A Strategies for Christians in a Post Christian nation tell us about this book yeah the book came out in 2017 i believe and it sat on my shelf for the last six years um and i thought i need to read this so i read it recently um but basically um it is uh, what drea looks at is, is is the benedictine benedictine monks in italy and uh, spent some time at a monastery and was kind of fascinated and, and thought there's there's several um things that these benedictine monks do that we can implement in our own lives to Stop right protect there. our own communities. When I see the Benedict option, I think of Benedict Arnold. Arnold, yes. And indeed. now I'm realizing this has nothing to do. I thought this yeah. was something about traitors and things oh, like that. No, no. I am way off. So base. this is, okay. it's, I mean, the, the Benedictine monks are, are cloistered monks, um, uh, as are many monks. I've, I've visited with some monks here in, here in uh, the Ozarks. But um, I'm going to have to ask Brother Noah if he has any ties to the Benedictine monks or not. They, they, we have a we have a, a monastery in Ava, Missouri, not too far from. I've here. heard this. Yeah, there's a and they they make uh, they make beer and stuff and yeah. Anyway. So the idea of the the Benedictine monks is a withdrawal from society. Yeah, to some extent, in order to be in order to commune with God. Uh, and 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 Andrea in the book is not asking us to withdraw from society completely, but he's asking us to, as Christians, those that are Christians and count those Christians, to be considerate about what we do, what we allow into our lives, what do we allow into our homes, how we should live in community. And he models it some somewhat of his time with the the Benedictine monks. Compare and contrast the Benedictine monks with, say the Amish um, and, and their lifestyle. Well, there's a religious difference. In the, the Benedictine monks are Catholic. The Amish are not. Sure. Um, Theologically doctrinal differences. Um, and that would be a good question. Uh, the difference would be... I think, are they just Catholic Amish? Um, I would say from my... I'm, I don't have much experience with Amish people, but they're, they're not as seen as the Amish people are because they do like to stay on site at the monastery. Uh, that doesn't mean they can't leave, 
but their 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 life is very rigorous with regards to prayer and food and and work. Um, but yeah, they're probably not as visible uh, and out and about. Like you know, we see Amish construction workers around here. Yeah. And we see Amish furniture builders and so forth, and they have their their wares for sale uh, and their services for sale as, as in construction and so forth. But um, yeah, you wouldn't. You, you, yeah, not as much presence out and about as you would see with the Amish. Presumably, and I have not read this book, but I'm intrigued. Presumably, Rogers says we should find some sort of middle ground where we limit the influence of the world on us, but we remain in the world as a as a light to the world. Is that sort of yeah, the yeah, conclusion he po- yeah? Positive? I think it is. But he, what he what with regards to things like the home, he thinks that what Christians should do with regards to the home is that that we should limit our intake of media and we should limit our change what we how we educate our children. He's a big advocate of, of classical education. Um, and what he wants to do is say, we're not going to become monks, but we can use some of these principles. One of the principles is that um, the monks don't allow anything into the monastery that would in any way um, work against the monastery's goals and the, the goals of the community inside the monastery, which is a closer closer relationship to God through prayer and, and things. Um, so if you allow bad stuff into your house, does that is that via your children or yourself, whether it's media or otherwise, is that taking away from the ultimate mission of what should be going on in the Christian home? This one hits close to home. I was raised, I was homeschooled growing up. We didn't have a TV. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have a TV till I went to college. We watched some movies occasionally, but I remember, you know, like if we wanted to watch the Super Bowl, my dad would go to my grandparents' house and, and borrow the TV, bring it to our house and plug it in. They might come over or, or if they were traveling so we could watch the Super Bowl. But we grew up without a TV. And my parents, you know, we were homeschooled growing up and my parents wanted to limit the evil influences of the media that day to us. Now I look at my house. Now I've got a TV. My children go to school, and I'm I'm you know they're in some ways I'm constrained by the decisions I've made. But in some ways I look back and think, man, they made very very intelligent decisions by limiting the evil influences to us as children. Certainly as as we were too young to handle what is in the world today. Yeah, and I think the the same could be said now if a parent was to to kind of as, as your parents did. That the issue now would be no smartphone. That that would be the the equivalent of taking away the television in the the nineteen eighties or nineties, um, and 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 Dreyer is very anti smartphone. He's not against the use of smartphones, but having children having them on hand constantly, he is very very much against them. And I think theologically uh, that matches matches up well with the scientific analysis that that depression rates among children have exploded, mm-hmm. particularly in the modern era where they all have access to all of these different apps and especially you've seen a dramatic rise in bullying uh, because you can't ever get away from what's happening at school. Right. I mean, if you, if you you viewers see the, the social dilemma on Netflix, which is, I believe was produced by Netflix, but the social dilemma on Netflix where they interview all these uh, tech executives, the tech executives in Silicon Valley don't let their children use smartphones because they know the, the addictive nature of them. So, yeah. What is a post virtue society? Um, it's kind of where we are right now. <laughs> um, it's, it's a society where, uh, maximum freedom is, is, is the ultimate, uh, or the goal, uh, thought, action, everything is, is ultimate freedom. But the problem is, and with, with no obligations to anyone other than oneself, but the problem with that and acting in your own interest, the, the, ultimately the problem is, is that to do so does break down community, um, you know the, the 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 goal of modern psychology, unfortunately, is to to be comfortable with yourself, whereas psychology of a previous era and generation was 
you don't you're you're a sinner and you need to conform yourself to to God's laws and Christian belief system. Now it's just be be yourself. Do you do you? We hear we hear that a lot. Um, and um, we even see that in the Supreme Court. I, there's a quote in the book on page 44 by uh, the former Justice Kennedy that, that left a few years ago. And he talks about how, you know, the, the, the goal of happiness is to discover one's true authentic self, but with unfortunately without limitations. Um, so we're, we're, we're very much living in a world where, I mean, Dreyer says we're living in a, in a barbaristic or we're li- living in an era of barbarism, which basically... The, the community suffers in order for the individual to flourish, but unfortunately the, the individual will not flourish because the community suffers. Oh, that's interesting. It's funny that you say a post-virtue society. As soon as you said the word virtue, I'm like, man, I remember you've got The War on Virtues by Bill Donahue and The Book of Virtues by uh, Bill Bennett, both out in the 90s, maybe early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, as you mentioned, we live in a post-virtue society. Um, and, you know, the the question is, we as Christians, what's our role in that post-virtue society? Yeah, I mean, Drea says there's a storm coming that the Christian community isn't really ready to, to weather. Um, he's, um, several things that he says is that, you know, the what we need to do is to live in community. We need to frequent Christian businesses. We need to... Um, he talks about we need to have more liturgical churches. Um, he talks about um, we need to live in close proximity to the church. He, one of the th- mentioned things he makes mention of in here is that, you know, Americans are very upwardly mobile. And, you know, let's say you have a, a good job and the, and the boss comes around and says, hey, we're, we're transferring you to Dallas and you're going to, this is from Springfield, and you're transferring to Dallas and you're going to make 30% more money. One should consider what kind of community they're leaving behind. Is that 30% increase in income worth the loss of community because you have to start your community again in Dallas or wherever you're transferred to. So Dreyer's what Dreyer's saying is think twice before you make your way up the corporate ladder for more money because you've, what are the ultimate consequences to your family and, and all that goes with that just for more money? It's a hundred percent true. And I, I, I had dinner with a couple in Kansas city um, over the weekend and they used to be in Springfield and they've lived in Kansas city now for a couple of years. There's a corporate promotion but the wife said that she's like, I don't, I have not like, they found a church they liked, but she's like, I don't have a, a close group of Christians like I had in Springfield. Mm-hmm. And they were discussing the, you know, we're sort of in the, maybe we try to find a new position, even if it's a reduction of pay so we can come back to Springfield mm-hmm. to reenter that close knit group that we had mm-hmm. because we're missing that in our lives. Yeah. And, and, and Dreyer himself, he moved back to his, his hometown in Louisiana having been gone for 30 years because he said how impressed that his, his community that he left those 30 years previous took care of his sister during her uh, journey through uh, battling cancer. And he realized that where he was living at the time, he couldn't, he w- if he had gotten cancer, he would have not had a community around him to, to see him through that kind of event. So, yeah, I mean, it, there's, there's, there's potential, if people want to live like this and, and live in, in Christian communities, there's going to be economic consequences and that could be career advancement. It's like, well, you know, I, uh, I make the money I make, but I'm not interested in, in climbing the corporate ladder for more money. Um, because the, 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 the consequences to my family, to my children, to their education, to our church and so forth aren't, isn't worth the, the extra, the extra income. Isn't the financial flex of the day though, the ability to be, with your kids. I've got a buddy of mine 
who is fairly successful at what he does. He's a little bit, he's like in his late 30s, doesn't have kids yet. But he always tells me, and I don't know if, if it's going to happen or not, but he's like, when I have kids, he's like, I don't want to be the dad that can't make the football game on Saturday or Friday night or whatever it is. He's like, I'd rather be the dad that hangs out and watches football practice because he like figured out a schedule where he can watch his kids all the time. He's like, I want to have that sort of connection to my children um, because he did not have it with his dad. My dad, on the other hand, he started his own business so he could set his schedule around homeschooling and any activities we were in, and I'm, I'm the better person for it. Yeah, so in that, that would maybe be an instance of it's, the goal isn't necessarily uh, career advancement or economic freedom. It is freedom to spend time with your family, and there's, 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 you know, time is one thing you can never get back. You can always earn more money. Absolutely. Um, does he come to an ultimate conclusion? Does he say one, one path is better than the other, or does he sort of say – Finding a way to retreat to these areas um, is is more valuable. Uh, I, I, I mean, his conclusion is you, we've we, we've got to make it. Is the Christian community in the United States has to make a change because if not, things are falling apart. Now, we, we you've heard me talk before about how you know the church has failed in a lot of this, and that we you know we lose ninety percent of our our youth uh, leave the church. Um, so as a result, he's he's actually Greek Orthodox, and um, you this this. The, the church is using the young people. Mm-hmm. I don't want to gloss over that. It doesn't every generation think that the church, their church is losing the youth. Um, that's an interesting, I think that's an American phenomenon. Um, I think that America goes, the ev- evangelical world, in America goes through these boom and bust cycles because the, the evangelical world is constantly chasing the culture instead of trying to change the culture. Um, so, I mean, here in Springfield, you would see churches that are huge, were huge churches in the 1950s and 60s. They don't exist anymore. Places that had auditoriums that would seat 2,000 people, the building's been knocked down. So I think, you know, there's churches here in Springfield that are very large now, 20, 30 years, they won't exist. There'll be a Walmart there, uh, because the land will be worth more than the community of, of the believers that may still be there. Um, so what Dreyer's goal is to, is to, to seek out more historical and, and liturgical worship, um, it's always been my contention that the American uh, church has always failed en masse, not in every regard, but uh, generally speaking, the evangelical world in America has failed to teach the, the children of their church Christian philosophy, Christian education, what are the church, who are the church fathers, what do we believe, why are we here, um, and, and be bebl- very biblically literate. Um, Dreyer interviews some evangelical, um, some administrators and teachers in some evangelical Christian um, colleges and he says that these these um, kids come to college and they're biblically illiterate. So I think that speaks a, a lot to both families and churches of not educating your children in, in, in Christian history. If, 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 if one was to go into any industry, um, whether it be law or medicine, you would study the history of law and medicine in order to be a practitioner of those things. Unfortunately, the Christian church in America, the evangelical church, has dropped the ball. They're not teaching where the w- w- Christian history. And as a result... Um, American evangelicalism is not set up to be intergenerational. It is a boom and bust cycle. Churches come and go, and 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 that what what Dreyer is really speaking out against is that our churches and communities uh, are not structured in a way that we can pass it down to the next generation because we're absent of uh, of teaching the history to to the to the next generation. Are we currently in a bust cycle? Um, different churches have different cycles. Um, I would say we're in a cycle right now where the evangelical world seeks energy. Where's where's the best pastor? Where's the best youth group? Where's the best this or that? And as we've seen here in Springfield and, and all over the country, there are churches that were once had 
2,000 you know, members that don't exist anymore. And so I think, you know, there may be churches here in town that are having a boom cycle, but they'll likely, the, the, the Christian history in America shows, or evangelical history shows, there will be a, a, a boom and bust. So if churches are in a boom right now, how long can the boom continue? It w- would make sense of either a leadership change or a philosophical change. Yeah, traditionally, or a that's change. the biggest is the, the cha- transition of pastors. Yeah. Does the church maintain its. its- yeah. And churches have, in, in town, I know personally, churches have experienced, they have, you know, Two third, uh, there's there's one third of the congregants that were there, you know, large churches. Uh, there's one third of the congregants there that w- now that would have been there, you know, ten years ago. In many ways, unfortunately, the, the evangelical church in America functions like businesses do. You know, Sears used to be the biggest thing at the Battlefield Mall, and Sears doesn't exist anymore. And I think there's a fundamental flaw in in how the the Christian church in America America functions, and it does not teach the next generation the history of the Christian church. And, and and where all this comes from, and it's it's very, it's very uh, culture friendly, but unfortunately the culture shifts, and the church moves in the direction to try to catch up with culture, but that isn't in its in its fundamental sense is not intergenerational. It can't be passed on because it's just it changes every fifteen or twenty years, and you're not leaving anyone with the roots. If you like I said before, you if you study English literature, you study Shakespeare. You know you have to study Shakespeare because Shakespeare is one of the the the, the, um, the the greatest synthesizers of the English language, um, but the, the Christian community doesn't seem to understand that, and I think there needs to be a kind of a post mortem on, on American Christianity to see how can we how can we not keep leaving the, the, these generations behind. Let's say, and I know this is not really your your bailiwick or your pro or what you're here for, but let's say you were to be setting up a church now. What are one or two things you say we should institute this in the church so that when we go through a leadership change, when we go through a generational change, the church remains strong and functioning. Um, a great church government, deacons, elders, pastor, uh, liturgical worship, church governance that says if the pastor leaves, the pastor dies, the pastor for some reason is not allowed to be, or not able to be here anymore, we can slide someone in place because we have a, a, a group of elders, deacons, uh, workers at the church, and um, a, a church governance, I mean, I'm Presbyterian, so I, I, I favor the Presbyterian form of government, but um, you can't have strongman operations. Uh, the, same, w- the same thing would work in the corporate world. If you have a, if you have a board um, that is disorganized, that's how corporations can fall apart because they can't install new leadership. Um, so, yeah, having, having a structure in place, uh, and also I believe in, in liturgical worship. I believe in, you know, there's no reason why a Christian from – a hundred years ago, couldn't come into to my own church here in Springfield uh, from the Presbyterian tradition, and it would feel exactly the same way it did almost a hundred years ago. The songs might be a little bit different, and there's some tweaks, but we're not. There's no need to reinvent the wheel. And and the the downfall of American evangelicalism is they're trying to reinvent the wheel every ten or fifteen years, and the it's 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 not constructed to be intergenerational because it's not it's not. Um, rooted in historical Christianity, it's constantly reinventing itself like a business. And some businesses can do it. I think some, some churches have been able to keep the numbers coming in by changing. But uh, if, you, if your loss rate is still 90%, um, there's, there's a reason to, to look, sit back and say, what are we doing wrong? And why are we losing 90% after, after college? The, numbers, the national numbers are the evangelical church who loses 90% of its congregants after college, after those congregants go off to college. If you're losing 90%, you're doing f- something fundamentally wrong, and uh, the church needs to kind of wake up and recognize that. The book is The Benedict Option. It's written by Rod Dreher. You can pick it up at your traditional bookstores. And since Bruce mentioned this, 
um, you know, spotlighting Christian businesses, great idea. Just going to throw one out there today. Clearly have not planned this, and they're not advertisers on the show. But the Pilgrim's Way on South Campbell, if you want to go look at a good Christian bookstore, a uh, lot of homeschool options, Christian school options, good theological books, go to Pilgrim's Way on South Campbell. Bruce, thanks so much for joining us today. One more thing I was going to say, that that, that concept of, of frequenting Christian businesses is done in, in the corporate world. Uh, the, the, the basketball player Magic Johnson is a big um, uh, owner of Starbucks, but he's also concerned that the people that work at Starbucks also go across the street and spend their money at the cinema across the street. And the people from the cinema, it's called the, the cyclical dollar, yeah. keep it in, keeping it in the community. And I think that's a great, a great example for, for Christians to pursue. Very good, Bruce the Theologian. We're going to be right back. We'll answer the question of the day. Don't forget Bunny Pounds at 5.05, talking about Jesus and politics. Stick around for that. I saw the sun begin to dim and felt that winter wind blow cold. A man learns who's there for him when the glitter fades.